I remember my first lecture, the uh, professor said something to the effect of, you know, the planet's going to be fine. It's us that need to be worried. It's just going to shake us off. So we got to get with the program. And that was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I was like, okay, I'm in this industry that I love. So how do I take um, the goals of kind of that ecology slant and, and put it on onto this? And how can we make this better? There's got to be a better way to build. There's got to be a way to build that doesn't necessarily mean that we're building ourselves off the planet. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, life in the time of climate change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. So we offer these interviews as ways of giving us all new ideas and inspiration for making our way forward together. Today I'm speaking with Mariana Pickering, co-founder of EMU Passive, a consultation group that trains and consults on the design and construction of high-quality building envelopes and healthy indoor environments. Mariana describes herself as a recovering architect who, because of her devotion to the well-being of the natural world, has found her way deep into building science to discover a powerfully energy-friendly building standard, the International Passive House Standard. Now, she and her business partner travel the country to train construction professionals in this remarkable system. Hey, Mariana. Hi. So good to have you here. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us on How It Looks From Here. Thanks for inviting yeah, me. I, <laughs> oh, you bet. My delight. And thanks for stepping away from your current training workshop. Tell me what it is that's going on and where you are. Yeah, so uh, downstairs right now in our training room, we have one of our builder boot camps going on. So we are accredited education providers for the Passive House uh, Building Science Education, or, or it's called a CPHT. And so they're doing their um, classroom work today and yesterday. And then tomorrow we are rolling out our brand new Passive Pods, which are kind of our instructional tool for teaching the hands-on part. And they're going to play with all kinds of fun games tomorrow to build their pods on their different teams and then we have like a big competition at the end to see who did the best job and and, and then they take an exam on Friday to become certified passive house tradespeople. Well, I, I, we're going to get into more of that so that everybody who's listening can understand like <laughs> what did she just say? But yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you a question that that I often ask when I start this podcast. Um, you know, the name of this podcast is how it looks from here and the recognition is that it just looks different to everybody and so my question uh today and I know you're in the middle of this work but it doesn't matter just um what would you say <laughs> in response to the question how does the world look to you today yeah um I'm a naturally optimistic person so the world looks really good to me humanity I don't know we got some stuff to figure out <laughs> 
it's uh, there's it's moments of really good where I feel like there's a groundswell of understanding going on, and then and then you you hit up against kind of typical construction industry stuff, and it it gets discouraging again. So it goes in waves, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So you're speaking of I, you co-founded this company called Emu, um, mm-hmm. and and this company is focused, as best I can understand, on supporting building community, really, among building contractors who are interested in learning about passive home or passive structures. How did you get to that in the first place? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I was, so in my previous life, (laughs) I joke that I'm a recovering architect. Um, So we started as an architecture firm in Italy, actually. So my co-founder and I went to University of Sydney in Australia and then had an architecture studio in Italy for several years, eight years, and got really involved with sustainability, trying to be the best, the greenest architects that we could be. And um, you eventually kind of go down this rabbit hole of building science And at the bottom of that hole (laughs) is the Passive House Standard, which it's kind of like an international building code that's that's a very stringent performance metric. And performance metric means what? It's a metric, it's it's a measurement that's applied to see whether or not this qualifies as passive? So in construction, you know, when we say, oh, I built, my building is to code, it's meaning it's hitting a number of different performance metrics or or guidelines in order to be safe and healthy and all of these things, except that our code doesn't actually have much built into it for health and safety, (laughs) actual health and safety and resiliency and durability, not to mention how our buildings actually uh, kind of cooperate with the climate around us and nature around us. And so the Passive House Standard is a really stringent way to look at both the energy efficiency of an envelope, a building envelope, and the internal, the indoor environment so that it's good for occupant health. Because ultimately, buildings are for people. I mean, I always I always kind of mistakenly thought I was an environmentalist my whole life, but the planet actually does not need any more buildings. <laughs> we need <laughs> to be making buildings that... Uh, allow us to stay on this planet <laughs> in a little bit better fashion. So, And so in the past, the, the way that you learned to do architecture was a way that was focused on design and aesthetic and on, um, I would guess, uh, financial efficiency, those kinds of things first. And you began digging yeah. and deciding you wanted to focus on something more mm, generous to the earth. I've always been uh, quite interested in ecology and things, but when it came time to go to school, I really got into architecture and design. I ended up doing my undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis. It was a very good top 10 architecture program for kind of the typical liberal arts approach to architecture and design. And I got a great fundamental, you know, education in that. At the time, there wasn't such a thing as, 
you know, sustainable curriculum for architecture schools, sustainable design in, in architecture schools. Um, some friends and I, we started the first club at Wash U for, for sustainable uh, design. And we invited, I remember we invited this architect, Pelly, to come talk to us. And that was kind of a really big deal at the time. We were really excited about that. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a lot as far as resources back then. And then when I went to University of Sydney, it was really one of only a couple programs internationally that had a specific degree in sustainable design. Um, now there's a lot, which is fantastic, but, uh, I would argue that even now most architecture schools are really focused on sustainable design from that design perspective, from that aesthetic perspective. Maybe they talk about solar orientation. Maybe they talk about, um, maybe like site layout, things like water and, uh, materiality and things like that. Well, and even eco roofs, Right. Green roofs, things like that. Right? But there tends not to be a lot of actual building science, um, going on. That's, that's changing a lot, which is great. But um, building science itself is the only way that we're going to actually be able to look at performance of buildings, drastically reduce the consumption that buildings have. Buildings consume more energy and spend more carbon than a lot of other sectors of our existence on this planet. (laughs) And trying to reduce that, we really have to look at it from a science perspective. And so, so, yeah, say a little bit more about that, because you say building science. Mm-hmm. And so deconstruct that. What, is, what does yeah. building science mean? So it's all kinds of things, but it's, it's typically what people think first is enclosures or envelopes and the energy efficiency of those. So a lot of thinking about how different wall assemblies and different types of high-performance windows and things help our buildings perform better, meaning they hold in the heat better so we're not wasting as much energy. Um, maybe they're creating energy through renewables, um, those kinds of things. That's typically what people think of. Then there's the whole health aspect to it, which is where Passive House is really um, leading the way on that and where I think it's really important is that it's recognizing the fact that buildings are for people and you can put a million solar panels on top of a roof, but if you still have mold and condensation problems and the indoor air quality is bad, why are we even making these shelters? You know, it like the whole, one of my, uh, one of the things that my co-founder always says in class, that's always funny is that the whole point of buildings is to separate us from the outside. So if the indoor environment is worse than being out in nature, then what are we doing? <laughs> That's an excellent, yeah, observation. Yeah, what are we doing? Right. <laughs> and we're used to it. You know, we, we have a very, as a society, we have a very high tolerance for poor performance in buildings. We're used to sitting next to the window and feeling cold. We're used to respiratory and asthma problems and all kinds of things from the stuff that we bring into our buildings and don't filter out. And now we've got this whole added layer of wildfire smoke and increased allergens and pollens and pollution from cities it's a lot of a lot of layers to why we're building and uh, and then trying to kind of think about the scientific way to approach performance in, in that respect. You're working with contractors, and the thing that I love about that is that it seems like you you and your um, co-founder really lead with your hearts. And maybe <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see if that's so. But that's what I picked up. And then by that, I mean your emphasis is on how do we connect with each other and how do we listen to the natural world and how do we listen to the people 
in the natural world who are that, by the way, yeah. so that we are, are building in a way that um, is more consistent with where we came from and more honoring of where we came from. The, is that overly poetic or how does that strike you? No, <laughs> no, I like that, that, you know, we, we consider ourselves a mission-based company. You know, we're, we're very led by our mission and our vision, which is that eventually all standard building practices will be based on the performance metrics and the, the scientific availability we have through the Passive House Standard. That's our vision because that's the only way that we see civilization working in the way that we need it and in the modern ways that we need it on this planet in a sustainable way. So why passive? What does that mean when you say passive housing? Yeah, so the word passive house is kind of a bad marketing thing sometimes, <laughs> but it's it's actually um, the name of the standard. So there's a difference between, you may have heard of passive design movement in the 80s, 70s and 80s, there was a, the passive solar movement. Um, which was kind of a response at the time to a lot of the energy stuff that was going on. And it was basically a design movement um, of principally architects and designers who wanted to respond to the energy crisis and, and other things and, and started learning about how to take advantage of passive solar gains through windows and things like that. Um, but there weren't scientific metrics set to it. It was, it was a design movement. The passive house standard is an actual metric, like I said. It's a codified it's, – it's like a building code if you think about the building code. It, but it's just a very, very stringent one. <laughs> and uh, So a building code is something that says you can't have lead in your paint. Right, exactly. There's okay. all of these things okay. that go into it. And it's, it's, so it's, it's complicated in the sense that there's a lot that goes into it. But the passive house standard as a code is simply about five core principles – um, and I can go through those five core principles and probably Sure, help. please do. Um, so we have a, an, a little acronym we use. EARTH is our acronym to remember them. So <laughs> we just came up with this, so I hope I don't forget them. But <laughs> um, So E is, is the entire envelope. It has to be a continuous envelope. Um, a is that and it's... Say that. You use this word envelope. Yeah. Can you just help us know what that means when you talk about a building? Yeah. Um, if you kind of think about a building like a living being, the envelope is like the skin of the building and the mechanicals are like the lungs. Um, so the skin is... The envelope is separating all of the indoor conditioned space from the outdoor not conditioned space. So it doesn't necessarily... Um, have to be what you visually see on the outside of a building. It's where your insulation layer is and where your air barrier is. It's it's the part that's that's separating the indoors from outdoors. <laughs> okay, that thanks. And so the first say that say again, the envelope must be continuous. Yes, continuous envelope, an entire envelope that's continuous. Um, a is air tightness. So, you know, one of the big problems with our existing building stock is that it's all just really leaky. All of our buildings are really leaky. So we pump all this money into heating them and all of this energy into them and the energy literally just goes right out the window. <laughs> um, so air tightness is a massive, massive part of uh, energy efficiency. And the Passivus standard requires a very, very high degree of air tightness. So normal building code requires three ACH 50 air exchanges per hour, three. 
And most buildings that exist right now in America are probably up in like the 10 to 15 range. So code is already a big cut. Passive house requires 0.6. So it's a lot less. Wow. Okay. So these are these builders are building extremely tight envelopes. So so the envelope being continuous would contribute to mm-hmm. its air tightness. Is that correct? Yes. The continuous envelope is referring to the thermal envelope, so there's continuous insulation all the way around it. And then the air tightness is also a continuous layer all the way around it. And then the R R is renewed fresh air, filtered air. So just like we just talked about the skin of the building, you can have the skin of the building be airtight and continuous, but if the lungs of the building aren't breathing, you have a problem. So we don't want to seal up all of that uh, air without having a good filtration system. So the mechanical ventilation system is a really, really big item that um, helps keep all of the air indoors very clean, and it helps filter the air that we're pushing out back to the world. Okay. So what's coming in to the building is good for the people and what's going out of the building is not harmful to the environment. Okay, good. And the other big thing is that there's that mechanical ventilation in passive house has heat recovery. So you're saving a lot of energy by recovering the heat that would otherwise be just expelled. I see. Okay. Okay, so then T. T is thermal bridge mitigation. So... We are always, a thermal bridge is a weak spot in that continuous envelope where heat can escape really quickly. And we want to mitigate or eliminate those to the best of our ability. And we do that through a modeling process. So what would be an example? Would that be around windows or something? That's a common spot, but really a thermal bridge is going to be anywhere where the geometry or the materiality changes and could potentially cause heat to flow faster in one spot. You just have to model it to check and make sure that you're not allowing it to flow too fast. (laughs) A corner, a slab meeting a wall, a roof meeting a wall, a window install detail, um, a steel beam plowing through a wall. (laughs) You know, the, the big problem is that when the heat is then on the move and hits a cold spot too quickly, that's where you have the, the possibility of condensation and that can lead to the possibility of mold and that's where moisture damages come from and then, and then indoor air problems. And so then H? H is, uh, the last one is high performance fenestration. So high performance windows and doors. Fenestration. That's a big one here in the States that's been difficult because we are about, I don't know, 10, 15 years behind Europe as far as quality of window and door um, manufacturing. And so really just the products to be able to build to this level haven't been available on a wide scale basis until somewhat recently. So, and that's a huge, huge factor in being able to, to have a high performance building. So, so in order to do this work, your focus, you chose, you've chosen in your business to put your focus on the builders. Yes. And teaching them about this passive home standard. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, passive house standard. <laughs> passive house standard. And then um, that that takes you out in terms of time of doing architectural development yourself, right? To a degree. We have, so there's two sides of our business. We, we do the accredited training for them. Um, 
to, to teach them how to do it. And then on the services side of our business, um, we have a pilot program where we license details to them, construction details that we've developed to uh, the standard. Uh -huh. And then we kind of use that as a way to get them to certification. We come in and we check on different milestones, make sure they're on track for it. And, uh, and that's kind of our, that's where we, you know, do some of the architecting that we used to do, but it's really in the details and the building science of those details. So, so what is the size of a, a passive house? Anything. Anything. So you could do a skyscraper. Yeah, there are skyscrapers. Yeah. Okay. So the, the misnomer, the problem with the word passive house, because it comes from the German, so it's just building, it's not house. <laughs> and so you get um, a little bit of a misunderstanding that it's like only for homes, which it's not. There are schools, there are museums, there's a swimming pool, an indoor swimming pool. There's like a, a car, car uh, dealership, there's school uh, um, dormitories there are skyscrapers like i said there's all kinds of different buildings so it has nothing to do with the building typology nothing to do even with the method of construction it could be concrete it could be wood frame it could be steel frame um, nothing to do with the materials and so this is where you see a really interesting uh, split in the passive house <laughs> movement there are folks that are hitting this performance standard you know, with things like spray foam and um, materials that aren't necessarily environmentally friendly, quote unquote. Um, and then there are folks that are trying to approach it more, more from the natural building perspective. But because it's a performance standard, it's just looking at how the building then performs for energy and indoor air quality. Okay. Okay. So do you push one way or another when you're doing training with these folks? Yeah, I mean... It's a product issue in the States. Um, I wish there were more and better natural products that performed better. <laughs> um, that's changing as well. I think, you know, there's been a lot of movement. And of course, in the insulation area, we now have, you know, hemp bats and sheep's wool and all kinds of other things. Um, really, we, we really don't love spray foam and have lots of conversations around that. But one of the reasons I love teaching Passive House is that um, I get this very strange spectrum of political backgrounds in our students. You know, it, I think there's folks who think that because it's been associated with uh, environmentalism that you always get kind of lefty, greeny builders that are interested in this. And that's not the case at all. You definitely get the other end of the spectrum where they're really looking at performance for developing a better product for their client. And so those aren't they're not going to be as concerned about the product materiality of, of th or the materiality of products. And so a lot of the a lot of the innovation and, and movement in that is kind of self-motivated by the manufacturers. And they really lead a lot more than maybe than they realize they do. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so pushing back on manufacturers, we have zero manufacturer transparency in the United States around construction materials. And that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But um, consumer awareness about what you're getting in your building needs to be a lot better because mm. we're mostly putting toxic stuff in our buildings, not to mention then once the building is built, we're pulling in all this Ikea furniture that lets go of all of these VOCs that we're then breathing. But you know, just talking about the building itself, um, we're using materials that typically are not 
you know, cradle to cradle or don't have a, we don't have a plan for disposing of them when that building is retired or, or updated or whatever. Um, How is that for you? That means that you're in the process. You're not, it's not uh, utopia by any means. It's not. Yet. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I say. How, like, how do you deal with that? Y'all, you said you all talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the ups and downs. It's hard because, you know, I feel like we're having a really big impact overall on um, macro level energy reduction, which is great. Um, not everyone gets the same takeaways as I would like them all to get about how this standard could be used toward having a better connection between building and the outdoors. This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. childhood. Talk about where did you grow up? (laughs) I grew up in Dallas mostly. Um, My parents were both teachers so we had the summers off and we would always mm, go somewhere either Mexico or Europe and go around. They're language teachers so we would always go somewhere where they didn't speak English. (laughs) Okay okay so in the process of growing up some things caught your attention. Describe how you got to building science and passive house in the German word, H-A-U-S, um, and emu, how did you get there from the backyards and sidewalks and bikes <laughs> and heat of Dallas? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I don't know, life is funny. <laughs> One thing just kind of leads to another, leads to another. But, um, yeah, it started because... Since I was little, I, I I had this ecology thing. You know, I wanted to be Rachel Carson, and <laughs> that was oh, what yay. I wanted we to do. We need another Rachel Carson. <laughs> and uh, but then, you know, I also always, from a very young age, was building houses for my dolls and building pieces of little furniture out of paper and all kinds of things like that. I loved building stuff and designing things in that way. And I went to the Hockaday School in Dallas, which is a very uh, well-respected college preparatory school that my mom taught at uh, for years. And and so there's a very big um, push and expectation to, to, you know, have a good career and, and focus on that. And so um, when it came time, you know, middle and high school to start thinking about where I was really good at things, I was always kind of in between math and art and and, and architecture made a lot of sense in a lot of ways. And honestly, I didn't at the time think about the practice of, I didn't think about the fact that working in the built environment doesn't actually align with conservation or, you know, (laughs) nature in that sense, in the typical way at all. And I remember it didn't really dawn on me mostly through college, either, even though I was interested in sustainable design and all of that. When I got to my master's degree in Sydney, I remember my first lecture, the uh, professor said something to the effect of, you know, the planet's going to be fine. It's us that need to be worried. It's just going to shake us off. So we got to get with the program. And that was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So then I was like, okay, I'm in this industry that I love. So how do I take um, the goals of 
kind of that ecology slant and, and put it on onto this and how can we make this better? There's got to be a better way to build. There's got to be a way to build that doesn't necessarily mean that we're building ourselves off the planet. So it sounds like that, that your um, Rachel Carson um, aspirations helped you, have helped you kind of hone a North Star, something that you guide by. Would that be right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like we have, we meaning me, my co-founder of my company, we definitely have a very strong anchor point. Um, it's very clear what our, what our goal is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So tell me about Emu. Where'd you come up with that? How did that strike <laughs> you as, as like the name, name you mean? Yeah. As a name. Yeah. For the <laughs> well, so, uh, Enrico and I met in Australia and then when we opened the firm in our studio in, uh, Italy, we needed a word that you could say in English and Italian the same way. So that eliminates a lot of things. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I really, you know, I, it's short. It kind of feels like it should be one of those acronyms like HOK or SOM or something. <laughs> um, but we we kind of stumbled into designing the little logo right away and it just stuck. It's a really strong brand. People remember it really easily. You know, we started going to conferences and people would be like, oh, you're the emus. <laughs> we remember that really well. We we call ourselves the wild emus and we have a mob because a flock of emus, if you didn't know, is called a mob. Ah, wonderful. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we opened, when we moved the company to America, we thought for a minute about, you know, rebranding or kind of reshuffling things around, but it's, it was just such a strong recognition, you know, people associated us with emus. So here we are. <laughs> I think have you seen you've seen emus you yourself? Oh yeah, yeah. I know an inordinate amount of data and statistics about emus. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Because people always send me all of these things about emus. Yeah. What's your funnest um, fact? Your most fun fact? Um. Oh, there's so many. Well, so one that's one that's really dorky is that they actually kind of have a passive house like respiratory system going on in their noses they have like a a little bit of an erv they they actually um harvest moisture an erv is a an an enthalpic recovery ventilator it's part of the mechanical system of a passive house where it like recovers heat but also recovers moisture and the emu's nose does that (laughs) and i thought that was kind of funny (laughs) we'll see it's divine inspiration, I guess. Yeah. And then now now <laughs> my uh, my Google news feed thinks that I love emus. And so every day I go look at the news and it's always some news article about – and it's always wild emus that are domesticated emus that have broken free from their enclosures. So apparently all emus want to run wild. <laughs> there you go. And that's what it says. So your, um, your tagline is run wild and build yep. passive. <laughs> Which, which seems like mm-hmm. a contradiction in terms. Talk about that. Yeah, it, it is, that. but it isn't. <laughs> so it's, you know, especially when we started doing passive, it was, it was wild. <laughs> you know, we, we drew the line in the sand very early um, against conventional wisdom for building a business. <laughs> but, and this is something I talk about with our builders a lot um, because I think, a lot of my role in the company is I, I talk a lot about how to communicate the value of all of this that we do and how to translate some of the building science into more accessible chunks. And for the builders, that means 
maybe they want to do this, but how do they convince clients to do it? Or how do they talk about it with clients? And for them, you know, drawing the line in the sand is a, a scary thing because you're just trying to get, you're just trying to get clients, right? And a lot of times when, when you do draw the line in the sand, like we did really early and say, we're only doing passive from now on, that's our benchmark. This is what we do. What ends up happening is you end up getting clients that align with that (laughs) and it filters out the folks that aren't interested in that. And so it becomes a really big confidence booster. And one of the things that I think is so interesting about the construction industry, especially in the States, is that you're dealing with a lot of confidence issues. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, it's folks that maybe didn't love school and um, don't have a business background to speak of trying to build their their businesses. Historically, um, you know, it's there's so many struggles that a builder has. I mean, they're dealing with so many things at the same time, budget, low, you know, low skilled labor, shortage of labor in the United States right now, um, difficult clients, you know, having to communicate with homeowners that don't necessarily know what they're doing and trying to communicate all these things they're juggling. And then we're saying, hey, could you also do like the most stringent building science standard that's available? That would be great. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Because you're going to save the planet. (laughs) And so, you know, that might Uh not be where their motivations lie. And so a lot of what I do is trying to talk about the the advantages to building this way really are outside of the environmental impact and and you know the impact it's going to have on your client's health and well-being it has an impact on the builder for their confidence level being able to provide something beautiful and well-built is such a source of pride because builders are craftsmen mm. and they want to show that they can build something well and that's what's so great about Passive House is it's hitting all these other goals that I'm really super interested in, but it's also empowering a lot of builders. And that's wonderful to hear. You know, most of our listeners won't have had, well, I don't know, unless they're builders themselves, but, you know, won't know about. This is a, a kind of section of at least U.S. culture that you see everywhere, but unless you're in relationship directly or you are one of those people, you might not have much to do with them. Yeah, so this is really, thank you for that description. Yeah. You know, before we go, we're getting toward the end here. When I, I wanted to ask you, given the way that you've come to see and move through the world, what would you offer as... Um, advice really to listeners for how how, suggestions based on your life uh, for how to be a part of climate repair be a part of moving towards solution what would you say from your experience yeah I think I think the thing that we have to remember is that there is potential for that in absolutely everything that we're doing already and like earlier I was talking about the fact that really the built environment is quite against a lot of my climate um, goals so to speak you know about what I would like for the for the environment going forward the building community really has more of a net negative impact than a net positive impact at the at this point but that's an opportunity right there to shift that towards a net positive impact and so whatever industry it is that you are in or whatever 
um, whatever you're doing on your in your daily tasks or whatever, there's probably something like that where it could shift towards that net positive, which I think is is the goal, right? And you know, I, one of the things I love about your podcast, <laughs> as I was looking at this, is and one of the things I love about some of the networking stuff I do here is when it's cross industry like this, where you have people from all different walks of life with all different experiences talking about kind of how how they see things, but how they are then making a positive impact on those things. And so I get so much inspiration from things like this because sometimes you can just get really siloed in your little industry and you can feel kind of alone in trying to make an impact like you're the only one trying to do it or something. Um, But it's pretty much across the board. It's just you have to find where those opportunities for net positive are, you know? Finding the positive and moving towards that. Yeah. And and for you, I just want to underscore this again. It seems like from when you were very young, it just felt right inside of you that what you wanted to do, even though you knew there would be compromises, maybe not when you were super young, but um, even though now you know there are compromises and things that aren't 100% there, you're really devoted to the well-being of the ecology. And you're okay if humans make it. Yeah, I'm okay if humans make it. If 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 we make it in a sustain in a in a good way, I'm okay if we make it. I think, you know, um, there's something you just said. I, I want to do it right. Is that what you said, or how did you put it? You want to you find yourself drawn consistently towards supporting the natural world. I do, but I think so. I, I, yeah, the thing that I was going to say that was interesting is that I was just reading a report on on the construction industry in general and how people are shifting towards their reasoning for doing more green building and the reasoning just this past year, according to the statistics has just shifted into because it's the right thing to do, quote unquote, Huh? which I, that's heartening. It is. But I also think it's so interesting. I feel like everyone wants to do things because it's the right thing to do. I feel like that's just becoming the language in green building because people didn't know what it was before. Uh-huh. So a lot of it's just awareness about what that thing is that's right. Everybody sure. wants to do the right thing, right? <laughs> right, right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, yeah, I thank you, and I wish you very good luck. When um, this training is over with, you, what the people will have the people who are participating will have developed some kind of building, right? Yes. So we have uh, pods. They're passive pods. So we do these kind of mini structures. They're kind of the size of like a telephone booth. And we split them up into teams so that they can practice job role simulation because so much of high performance design is just communication. So we talk a lot about just how do you talk to each other and, you know, practice things like empathy and then (laughs) collaborate and have a good plan before you jump in with your hammer um so that's amazing talk about (laughs) cross-disciplinary you know and talk about that part that i mentioned earlier coming from your heart you know it is if you don't communicate you can't do much definitely great oh well they're in good hands (laughs) yeah thank you so much for this time thank you this is great Learn more about Mariana 
and Emu Passive at the organization's website, emupassive.com. We've also included links to essays by Mariana and the rest of the Emu crew. Mariana also has a playlist on YouTube titled Monday BS with Emu Mariana. The BS in this case meaning building science. There, she talks about high-level passive building concepts in more simple terms. Named for that amazing big bird, Mariana and her colleagues always inspire as they lean into maximizing the opportunity to support building construction practices that support ecological well-being. And now before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on How It Looks From Here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the Systems Zoo. How It Looks From Here was produced by me, Mary Claire, editing by Gary Ferguson, music by Gary Ferguson, and other artists noted in the show notes. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at www.fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch.